attention sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Let me tell you what happens in most of the southern border is that in the middle of the night, a sentry goes off on a trail leading from Mexico to the United States, and a border patrol stands on that trail waiting to take that on. Doesn't know if it's an illegal alien for a job or a drug smuggler has a lot of guns. We've had border patrol agents killed on that border. While we slept last night and had dinner with our families yep. and watched football, these brave men and women are on the border. If we find that it's uncontrollable, Josh, if we find that it's um it gets to a level where we are going to lose control or where people are going to start getting hurt. We will close entry into the country for a period of time until we can get it under control. The whole border. President Trump set to make two campaign stops in Mississippi today for Republican Senator Cindy Hyde-Smith ahead of tomorrow's Senate runoff election. The president tweeting about Hyde-Smith, quote, we need her in Washington. So what exactly is at stake in Mississippi? Cindy has voted with me 100 percent of the time. She's always had my back. She's always had your back. And a vote for Cindy is a vote for me and make America great again. And now, Stacey Washington. Welcome back to the program. Thanks for being here. This hour, we are going to be speaking with Jennifer Canales. She is an American missionary. She lives in Honduras, and she's going to talk to us about how this migrant caravan actually promotes anarchy in Honduras. I, I mean... Are you surprised by that? Probably not. And we're going to also get into a little bit of information on this uh, Mississippi Senate runoff race. We're going to talk about what asylum is and isn't. Another jam-packed hour. Thanks for being here today at Stacy on the Right on Twitter and Instagram and StacyOnTheRight.com. Okay, so let's get into it. Senator Graham says the Mississippi Senate, Senate runoff race is so important. Let's listen to that. It's number two. All right. How important is Mississippi? And then I got to roll. The Senate race. Uh, if you care about judges and you care about tax cuts, you care about a strong military, vote for the Republican. The Democrats are going to take us backward, the Republican, to keep us on track. Mm. So it, he's, he's pretty right about that. And I think a lot of people are getting sucked into this whole SB. There's like, oh, it's, you know, it's so historic. You know, what's historic about it? Um, I've, I've really, as I've, I've, you know, you take things bit by bit and information kind of sinks into you. That's why I like to say that here on the show, let that sink into you for a second, let that marinate on your brain for a minute. You know, ever since I was reading that book, Adios America by Ann Coulter, ever since she came on the show and talked about what she means when she says we're one people group. And I know there's, there's a, a, obviously we are all one, one flesh. We're one human race. There is no race of, of different races of people. We have different ethnic backgrounds based on where on the planet we hail from originally. But th- this idea that there's more than one type of human is so ridiculous. It's rooted in so much nonsense. But there's something really special about Americans, black Americans and white Americans, and our shared history, our culture that has come out of the fact that our country was founded where slavery was legal. And there is so much of an important, it's a huge step that we have not yet undertaken on the whole. And so please don't email me that you've taken the, undertaken the step or, you know, I'm not judging anybody. This is not me smacking anybody on the wrist specifically. It's about overall, we have certain parts of our country that are really, people are obsessed with race. It's everywhere. It's everything they talk about. If you don't want to talk about it, then you hate yourself or you're a bigot or something like that. We also have a, a, a distinct group of individuals who have made themselves very prominent recently who like to call the police on black people whenever they're in public. And these incidences reinforce the idea that white people are racist. And it couldn't be further from the truth. If you find a group of nincompoops or, you know, verifiable idiots, it doesn't mean that everyone who looks like them or sounds like them is also a nincompoop or verifiable idiot. There are going to be idiots in every group of people. But there is also a kind of reticence to have a conversation or to talk about how things are, are how things crack out for certain people. And as much as I talk about, because I'm a child of the king, the permanent tan doesn't determine where I'm going to spend eternity. 
What determines that is if I decide I'm going to serve, who's, who's my master? Who am I going to serve? I choose to serve God. So I can put the petty slights and inconveniences behind me, but it doesn't mean I don't experience them. It happens to me just like any other black person. It also happens to white people. They experience petty inconveniences and slights as well. So it's not unique to any one race but or, or ethnic background, I should say. It's not unique to any one ethnic background. But there is a kind of, it's like a dismissal of the concerns of people who they, they want to talk about it. Now, no one has to talk about it. If you don't want to talk about something, you don't have to. But we have to find a way to stretch out over the chasm that has developed, mainly at the insistence of the left on refusing to let go of race as the predetermining factor, the number one indicator of whether or not you can be successful. We have to get away from that. And we have to say, look, we're, we're Americans and we've got to find a way to get along. It's similar to what you do with family. We don't get to pick our family. So all of us have people in our family that we're like, oh man, okay, here we go. Um, all of us have someone in our family who feels that way about us. Oh yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that being the case, we just choose to get along with each other because what we say to ourselves is, well, that's my family. That's my people. You know, she's just going to be what she's going to be. He's, he's just going to act how he's going to act. You know, I just keep praying for him, but I'm, I'm still going to see him at Thanksgiving. I'm still going to see him this weekend. I'm still going to, you know, they're still going to come stay at my house, whatever. We got to start extending that out to our American family. I, what I find so interesting about the whole phenomenon of Americans not getting along together based on ethnic background is that so many other people, name, namely Salvadorans, Hondurans, people like that, they're dying to get in here. If this country was so horrifyingly racist, then brown people would not want to come here. I mean, you know that. No amount of money could make America a good place to live in if racism was as rampant as the left would have us believe, which means that it is, it's a smokescreen. It's something that's put up to make us, it's like, hey, look over here, shiny thing over here, look, pay attention to this. So you don't pay attention to the overspending, the administrative state that our first guest was talking about, the people who aren't doing their jobs, like the the, the government agencies that are supposed to create these fire maps and PG&E is supposed to do something about these power lines that are encroached upon by vegetation that is dry like kindling and snaps off, catches fire. And then, you know, you got pe- just whole towns burned to the ground, wiped off the face of the map. I keep meeting people who either used to live in Paradise, California, or ha- they have friends who used to live there like recently who don't live there anymore now because it's literally not there anymore. And they keep saying how they're like, I just, I can't believe it's not there. That's where we got married. That's where the, it's, it's, it's an amazing thing for them to be kind of recounting this and for us to know that these are things that have happened that didn't have to occur. So we, we've got to move past this idea, you know, people are going to be rude. People are going to be mean, but for every one of those times, I, I've just been noticing how often people are, you know, saying hello, how, how much more people seem to be going out of their way to. Hi, this is Steve Tiber with Eight Days of Hope. We've been all over the country helping disaster victims who lose everything. It's truly a blessing. I really don't have the words to express. And yet they see a glimmer of hope when a volunteer shows up. Building the home, that's the second reason we're here. The number one reason is to share the gospel and and give them hope. It's everything that's right in America. I mean, it really represents the, the best that we have to offer. That's one of the main reasons for doing it, is being able to be the hands and feet of Jesus and coming out and working with so many wonderful volunteers. I just feel like it's important in this day and age to teach a child uh, how to serve. Please go to our website, 8daysofhope.com, and click on Get Involved. Submit your email address, and the next time we go anywhere with a disaster, we'll invite you to come along as well. I love coming in the job room because you can see these pieces of paper, they aren't just a piece of paper. Right. It's a family that's hurting, and it's a gospel opportunity. And you know, I just thank God, you know, for this moment. I mean, I'll be back in my home, and I know it's going to be awesome. Come love others with 8 Days of Hope. 
was on my way to work, drinking, and I passed out. Next thing I know, I was in the hospital. That's what brought me to Team Challenge. God got my attention and I'm here. I know that I'm a child of God and I'm loving every bit of it. If you or a loved one are struggling with addiction, Adult to Team Challenge can help. There are centers across the country and you can find the one nearest you at 855-END-ADDICTION or at TeamChallengeUSA.com. This is Urban Family Talk. This is Just a Minute with Stacey Washington. What's your identity? Secularists insist that one should find their identity in who they choose to have sex with or by checking a demographic box and assuming a mantle of victimhood. But God looks at the heart. His word only offers two designations upon which to rest our identity. According to the Bible, our character is predicated, founded, grounded, and built upon whom we serve, God or Satan. There is no middle ground, no safe zone where one can say, I'm an independent and escape judgment. 1 John 1.10 is clear. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. Instead of trying to occupy a middle ground that simply does not exist, choose to serve God. It's time to make a decision about our identity by asking one question. Who do I serve? I'm Stacey Washington. Find out more. Okay, are we back? Can people hear that? Okay, so we're back. Um, I have no idea what I was talking about before we went off to the break, but I want to get to, um, in fact, we just have a couple of minutes left in this segment. Weird live radio stuff, you guys. Have no idea what's going on. Um, so the deportation of the illegal immigrants who are trying to come into the country and they stormed the border. So I want to get to that. And we're going to have Jennifer Zilli Canales up after this break. But right now, let's get to this here. So the BBC reported, and this was on November 25th. So yesterday, um, the BBC reported that the breaking news, Mexico's interior ministry is is doing, they're, they're going to deport every member of the migrant caravan who are identified as having tried to cross the U.S. border illegally. Now, this is something that helps President Trump because, remember, some crazy, whacked-out Ninth Circuit court judge actually did this. It's kind of an interesting thing. They, they said, look, you can't say that someone who comes into the country illegally can't file for asylum. Now, I don't know why he wouldn't be able to make that designation. Um, I believe they're appealing that to the Supreme Court. But in any case, they're... It, what what matters is that they've ruled against him and they've placed this injunction, which if I were him, I would ignore it. What could it possibly hurt to ignore an injunction by the Ninth Circuit? It They don't actually have jurisdiction over him as a single circuit court, the, the court that liberals always go to. So anyway, the Mexican government is now saying that they're going to do this thing, this amazing thing, which is deporting people who are coming into the country and try, they're, they're storming the U.S. border while the U.S. border is being, you know, basically manned by our troops. So this is from the Ministry of the Interior website, and the information was translated by Google. The Ministry of the Interior informs that in coordination with local authorities from the state of Baja, California, they managed to contain the group of almost 500 migrants who, in a violent way, tried to cross the border of Mexico with the United States in Al Chaparral, Tijuana. This dependence reiterates that through the National Institute of Migration, we will proceed to deport immediately fully identified people who participated in these violent acts. Also, he points out that the acts of provocation, far from helping their goals, threaten the migratory legal framework and can result in a serious incident on the borderline. So they say there's no understanding between our governments, but they're actually starting to do what they're supposed to do. Good for them. They want to keep shipping cars into the U.S. They better do something. All right, when we get back, we're going to have Jennifer Canales. She's actually an American missionary in Honduras. Stay there.
Are you still stuck on the healthcare roller coaster? Still paying those high premiums? And strapped into huge deductibles? Not knowing what's around the next turn? Well, then let me tell you about a sound, sensible healthcare choice that really is affordable. It's MediShare, the healthcare sharing solution people like you have been trusting in for more than 25 years. MediShare members report saving around $500 a month on their healthcare costs, and they never pay for things they don't believe in. Time to say goodbye to that healthcare roller coaster and say hello to MediShare. Call star star 345 to find out how much you can save on your healthcare. MediShare. Call star star 345. Message and data rates may apply. That's star star 345. This is Viewpoints with Kirby Anderson. When the presidents of France and the United States were together earlier this month to commemorate the 100th anniversary of the end of World War I, French President Macron decided to criticize President Trump's use of the term nationalism. President Macron argued that nationalism is a betrayal of patriotism because it will actually erase what a nation holds dearest, its moral values. Senator Marco Rubio responded to that claim in an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal. He believes that the French president got everything exactly backwards. He said it is through the nation that moral values can be upheld and sustained in America. Our ideals are deeply entwined with our national traditions and institutions. Senator Rubio went on to explain that what makes America exceptional is that our values are built into our national identity. While we have never been completely true to our founding ideas, for more than two centuries, each generation has fought and succeeded to move us closer to them. He also quoted from President Abraham Lincoln, who spoke of a united American spirit in his first inaugural address. He said the mystic cords of memory stretching from every battlefield and patriot grave to every living heart and hearthstone all over this broad land will yet swell the chorus of the Union when again touched as surely as they will be by the better angels of our nature. Critics of President Trump want to remind us of the negative connotations of the word nationalism. That is certainly true as well. However, I appreciate the fact that Senator Rubio wants to remind us of the importance of national pride and patriotism, especially in a country that is defined more by its ideas than by any ethnic or religious cohesion. I'm Kirby Anderson, and that's my point of view. Take Kirby and the Point of View team with you on the go with the Point of View app. Search for Point of View Radio at the Apple or Google Play stores. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Welcome back to the program. Uh, while we're working on getting our guest, um, I want to continue. I've just kind of got cut off a little bit. We had all those problems in our first segment. Um, so... In this ministry website posting where the National Institute of Migration basically laid out that they're, they're, they're not going to allow violence inside of their city while people are waiting for an, an opportunity to come to the U.S., and there's also been, I don't know if you guys saw, there was a big, huge demonstration. Tear gas was fired. They had the women and the children at the front, and they were unable to... Uh, the people were unable to get in and they got some really good pictures for the lamestream media so they could try to act as if the Trump administration is doing something horrible when the reality is they, they send the women and the children up front and then they immediately disperse the men and the men are the ones who are coming for work. They're not even planning on applying for asylum. If you the MSNBC, which is what's so fascinating is MSNBC has actually put forward um, some information saying that um, that they're they're doing this, this work. They're saying that they're doing this, this work. Um, okay. I'm, I'm not sure what's going on here. Do we actually have Cassie Smettle from the RNC holding? Oh, okay. All right. Well, I, I love Cassie. Let's talk to Cassie Smettle from the RNC, RNC <laughs> national spokesperson. <laughs> Cassie. <laughs> I, so my call is well, hey, screening software. Think- 
everything's messed up over here. I had this weird segment where my, my all my stuff's going haywire. And then when I saw the call screen software pop up on my computer here, I'm, you know, I'm talking and I look up and it says Cassie Smeddle. I'm like, oh, awesome. Wait, can that be right? Oh. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, so hello. Because I'm calling you from, I got a snow day home here in Kansas City. So I'm still in Missouri. So I thought maybe I had my time wrong. The time change, so I'm oh, glad well, to, I feel closer to you today. You are closer to me. Well, let's see. Yeah, you're definitely closer because you are. If you're in Kansas City, you are just like three and a half hours by car. Maybe not today since the weather's so bad. But um, you guys got a ton of snow. I have a girlfriend who lives in uh, Kansas City, also on the Missouri side, and she mm-hmm. said they got six inches last night. Is that so? Oh, I, at least that much. We are fully covered on the grass and then some. So it's like a winter wonderland. It's really fun. <laughs> I bet you it's gorgeous. But that means you're going nowhere. Like, you, are you planning on going back to D.C. or New York, or are you just hanging out? <laughs> well, yeah, I was supposed to leave yesterday to go to D.C. and call the day before when they said, oh, snow might be coming. And they said, oh, you can stay an extra day if you want, because they did close the airport yesterday but it's open today so i'm heading oh. back in just a couple of hours but oh, okay okay well out. safe travels on that i know how it is to try to fly out of the midwest to dc when it's bad weather it's usually fine leaving but when you come down out of the clouds in dc it gets really bumpy if the weather is bad so i hope you have a nice smooth flight oh. well i'll bring my extra gum to pop my ears <laughs> <laughs> yeah so, okay, so let's let's talk about, um, I will, I'm hoping you have, first off, we, I want to discuss this race in Mississippi. Um, this is, this is like a really big deal because the Mike Espy, he's trying to act like he's a regular Mississippian guy and like he's just like not a hardcore leftist, but he really is. And then the Republican has had a coordinated campaign of smear tactics like launched against her. All kinds of stuff that like she couldn't have had any say in what school she went to as a child. Um, and we don't know what reason she sent her child to a certain school or not to a certain school as a parent. I know there are so many things that go into play into where we choose to put our kids and especially for private school. So I just I don't I don't know if this is sticking. I'm hoping people are ignoring this stuff. Right. Well, one thing we know about Mike Espy is that the biggest funder of his campaign is George Soros. So when you start talking about the smear campaign and how all of these things seem to be coming out at coincidental timing in a coincidental way, and then you come to find out that his biggest backer is George Soros, it all starts to make sense. This is what he does, right? He goes in and tries to conjure up drama. But then for Cindy Hyde-Smith, she's been a fantastic ally of President Trump and, of course, um, to maintain that seat in Mississippi would mean a good, strong majority for the president and Republicans in the Senate. That's why it's important. And what we're seeing here is this is a runoff, so the whole country is focused on it because it's the only show in town. Mm-hmm. But in every poll, she's been ahead. She's been focusing her race on Mississippi and on Mississippians, as she should. She's not paying any attention to the national media because she knows they're not in it for her. And and I think that's what it is, is that this determination to focus on Mississippians and Mississippi values and being a good representative for Mississippi. You know, Mike Espy, when he was a member of Congress, he voted with Nancy Pelosi. So we know, despite his best attempts to say that he's going to be some kind of moderate, we know that's not the case when you're backed by George Soros and the voting record says you vote with Nancy Pelosi. We know he'll be a rubber stamp for Chuck Schumer. And, I, I mean, he was too liberal for the Clintons. He was the ag secretary under President Clinton, and he had um, not too liberal, I'm sorry, too scandalous. He had some scandals, and he had to resign as ag secretary. So he is not a level-headed, good representative for Mississippi. He's going to bring drama and be a rubber stamp for Chuck Schumer. And when we talk about the 53-seat majority, so really we had the majority last go-round, right, for the past couple of years. We had 51, but two of them were the swing voters who it, they weren't reliable. They weren't reliable for the president, although one of them did uh, Collins. She came through in the end for um, the Kavanaugh vote. But for the most part, the two of them, the one from Alaska, Murkowski and Collins, they're, they're not sure they're Republicans, but they're not the ones we count on when we need to get something through. So 53 means those two could defect and we would still be good to go. That's right. That's a really important cushion there. And and also, 
one thing I like to point out, Bob Corker, who's the outgoing senator from Tennessee, he didn't run for reelection. He was also someone that um, would kind of be a little bit of a thorn in the president's side. And now you've got Marsha Blackburn, who is a staunch ally and supporter of the president and of his agenda. So he's getting a, not just a widened Republican majority, but a stronger majority of allies that really want to help usher through this Trump agenda, which is what so many of us voted for. And we've been so happy with these promises made and promises kept. And this gives us us and the president more of an opportunity to keep more promises. So one of the things that I'm also paying close attention to is what's going on down at the southern border. And you and I have discussed this so many times before when you've joined us on the program. And my concern is that the president wants to do some amazing things for this country. But the southern border is it's almost like it's being used as a wedge issue to derail good things that the president has already accomplished and things that he would be working on if it weren't for this. It's just an insidious problem. Now, I think he's handling it as best as he can. But what can we kind of expect moving forward, especially since I I love it? He said he may shut the border down permanently. Cassie, that's an awesome idea. I know other people wouldn't agree with me, but I'm I for one would be like, do it, do it, President Trump. What else can we expect? Well, that's right. What he's saying is we've been having this border issue or immigration issue, I should say, for 25 years and then some. And then we're going back to President Reagan. So what he's saying now is we've got to get a handle on this. And every other thing we've tried, they continue to take advantage of the loopholes and of the compassion and generosity of the American people. So we're going to shut it down if need be so we can get a handle on this process and figure out not just who's coming in and out of our country, but who should be coming into our country and out of our country. And so I appreciate that we have a leader in the White House who's taking a firm position because that is the priority of the president, to protect our sovereign borders and to protect the people. So I appreciate that. And what we're seeing on the border, you know, I have to, it's not a laughing matter, but remember when Democrats said that the president was playing up the caravan issue for the mm-hmm. election and that we wouldn't hear anything about it once Election Day came? Or they'd say, that caravan, they're four months away. Why is he mm-hmm. talking about this? This is all politics. And lo and behold, we're less than a month out from the election, and here they are at our border throwing rocks and fecal matter and rushing our, our agents, our Border Patrol agents. It's really um, quite a sight down there, and we should be using our full every resource and tool and person at our disposal to protect the border. Uh, and so I think to your point, we've got just a couple weeks here until Congress potentially is going to shut down the government if they can't reach a spending deal. And the president wants, as, any, as part of any spending deal, money for that wall. And there are those who say, well, he's not going to get it because Democrats are about ready to take the majority in the House and they have no incentive to work for him. But let that chaos that you're seeing on the border and those people who you so rightfully set it up, rightly set it up, that they put the women and children in front and then the men run around them. You see what they are doing. And um, the bad is taking advantage of the good. And so something has to be done. Democrats cannot continue to make this a political wedge issue. They need to see it for the issue that it is, and that is our right to protect our borders and protect our people. I just, you know what, Cassie, I'm, I've gotten a little pessimistic about what Democrats can and cannot like comprehend. And I really think for them, it's, it's, I I kind of tied into news that came out. I, I think it was last week or the week before at the end of the week where the census bureau has actually pulled back on talking about when the white population in America will become the majority minority because they found that the exposure to that information actually makes white Americans upset and less likely to be open to open-ended immigration, illegal immigration, et cetera, et cetera, because the change is not occurring naturally. The change in who we are as Americans and the size of our different groups of people that are tracked by the government is actually being fomented, starting with Ted Kennedy, moving forward to today's radicalized Democrats with this open border scheme. It's not just illegal immigration, it's legal immigration at well over a million a year, and then refugees and, uh, you know, visa overstays. And so if you couple all of that together, our country is being changed by a small select group of people. 
against the wishes of the greater population. Even lawful immigrants who are Hispanic background don't want to see hordes of illegal immigrants coming into the country after they paid 50 grand or whatever and waited 10 years to get in here lawfully. It's, it's, it's a huge problem. And, and so, you know, I, I see, I, I see what you're saying and I definitely, I hope it's true, but part of me really, it, the census bureau report in it, the officials who put it together said, it's not their job to alert Americans to huge demographic shifts, but they're also, um, they saw a kind of triumphalism in Democrats when they shared this information with Democratic leaders. It was like, yeah, and when we are a majority brown country, those brown people are going to give elections to the Democrats, bar none. They're just going to keep giving it to us and we're going to win. That kind of attitude isn't good for America. That We need an American populace. I don't care what permanent tan people are wearing. We have to have people here who are Americans first so that they want to maintain what we have so we don't turn into Honduras or El Salvador, et cetera. Right. Absolutely. It's not so much um, what we look like, but what do we do as a country? What do we stand for as a country and as our citizens? And when Democrats love to say we're a nation of immigrants, that's right. But it's a nation of, I mean, my grandparents came here for this American dream, for work, to provide for their families, to, and it didn't cross their minds to not come here and go through the process to become American citizens. Mm. That, that has been a shift in saying, come over here first, and then we'll figure out how to get you paperwork so that you can vote, as you're talking about. And so often they say, we just want you to vote, we want you to vote. And not so much, what do you stand for? What, what is your American dream? What are you contributing to our country and what will the country contribute to you? That, that is a shift in conversation that I think is ultimately bad for us as a country. It's not about people wanting to come to our country, become citizens, contribute to our economy and to our culture in positive ways. Those are all things that we stand for and we believe in. But this idea that we would first prioritize those who come here illegally over those who desire to come here legally and become American citizens, that's this philosophical difference that's becoming so apparent between Republican and Democrat, quite frankly. It is. And, you know, I, I keep thinking about, I was in um, Nashville a bit ago and it was like two weeks ago, I went to Nashville to do an interview and my Uber driver was this awesome guy. Um, he still had a little bit of an accent and I'm not sure what country, what Latin American countries he was immigrated from, but he was my Uber driver and he had Cassie. I'm not kidding. He had a football field of Legos and it was attached to the dashboard and the Legos were the team, the, the, the football team in Nashville, that's his team. And yeah. then the, the whoever they were playing, I guess it's their number one rivals. And then he had a bobblehead of his favorite quarterback for the quarterback for the Nashville team. Oh my God. That was in the center of the dash. So I get in and he's like, ah, Bonita, where are we headed? And I looked at him and he looked at me and we just smiled and we chatted all the way from, he picked me up from the interview location and drove me to the airport. We had such a good time talking. It's that it has nothing to do with anybody being from South America or wherever it has to do with people being here because they love this country and they came here legally. And I just, I've never met someone who was, you know, an immigrant that I was like, well, that's a horrible idea. I've never met an immigrant that I, I, oh, I didn't like that person or never. I've never been afraid of immigrants. And I know just based on so many people that I know who happen to be white this is not, I'm not unique. Most people don't care where right. you're from. They just, they just want, you know, that you're just, you're working, I'm working, we're just here. Um, I it just it makes me kind of sad that the Democrats have such a lock on the conversation about this. But um, I am so glad that we were able to have you on the show today. And um, we're going to talk to you again soon. You stay safe on your trip back to DC tonight. Thank you so much. It was great to be with you. And one shout out for any of your listeners vote.gop to find your polling location if you don't know where it is already because we need everybody to get out and vote tomorrow absolutely thank you cassie for joining the show today all right we are going to be back with more right after this stay there
Life is never picture perfect. Human beings come in all different shapes, sizes, colors, and abilities. No matter how much we plan, no matter how much we think we're prepared, the unplanned happens all the time. It's how we respond to the unexpected that shows our true humanity. But many do not see the value of every human life. Too many are willing to discard those who don't fit the picture of perfection. Abortion destroys the chance to love and to be loved. We never know what will fill the frames of our lives or how empty those frames can be when we allow exceptions. Every life is a gift. Learn more at www.radiance.life. There are many ways you can listen to the shows of Urban Family Talk. One of those ways is through our very own app. Whether you have an iPhone or an Android, just go to the App Store and search for Urban Family Talk. You'll have immediate access to 24-hour programming as well as the podcast for each show. You'll be able to tune in no matter where you are. Speaking of tuning in, we have our own channel on another radio app called Tune In. Cool, right? Urban Family Talk is everywhere. Just download the app and take us wherever you go. Wesley Biblical Seminary, on campus in Jackson, Mississippi, online with live face-to-face video classrooms. Hello, I'm John Nyhoff, the president of Wesley Biblical Seminary. Let us provide you with excellence in biblical and theological graduate education. International, nationwide, interdenominational, conservative, biblical. The world is our campus. Wesley Biblical Seminary. Donald Trump's America. We have a very strong ally. President Trump continues to get some criticism for supporting Saudi Arabia over what intelligence officials say about the death of journalist Jamal Khashoggi and any Saudi involvement. Democratic Representative Elijah Cummings on NBC's Meet the Press says Congress will look at the alliance, including a key constitutional check of the White House. The emoluments clause and wondering what whether the president is acting in his best interest or those of the American people. Congress also wants to look at military involvement with the caravan. Maine Independent Senator Angus King said on CBS Face the Nation that he has questions about troops on the border. Not only what the rule is, what the uh, what the rules of engagement are that the Defense Department has used. Also, I want to know how much this is costing. And President Trump back on the campaign trail today, traveling to Mississippi for a roundtable discussion and a rally ahead of an important Senate runoff election tomorrow. Grinnell Scott, Fox News. You can download episodes of Stacy on the Right from the podcast page on AFR.net or UrbanFamilyTalk.com. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. It's close, but nevertheless, when you combine what the two Republicans won prior to the runoff, it was 58% of the vote. So I do believe Cindy Hyde-Smith will win this. We don't take any seat for granted, but come November 27th, I believe Cindy Hyde-Smith will be continue to be the, the uh, senator from Mississippi. It's a big race, it's important, uh, and it's key to securing our 53-seat majority there in the Senate. Absolutely. And I got to say, um, Cassie was dead on. We, you, there's, it's a clear choice here. You have a clear choice. One person is interested in obstruction and open borders and, you know, judges who feel the Constitution is a living, breathing document, like something you'd find on Dora the Explorer. And then you have the Republican candidate who is interested in restoring constitutionally limited got these judges that these judges are important because if we have a living breathing document that means nothing that you believe is your right right now is your right because at any time that living breathing document can change and then you've got whatever the person who's changing it thinks you've got I prefer to stick with what we had originally um what we have now what what we're working with now It's the only one of its kind on the face of this planet and we need to preserve it. You know, sometimes you can look back and you're like, Oh, I had it so good. I didn't realize I had it so good, but you had it good. And, but you can't see that until later. I don't want that to be the case here in America where we're looking back and saying, remember when we actually 
like we had people who knew what the Constitution was. A lot of millennials have no idea what's in it. And the ones behind them, that's the ones we can still catch. You still have teenagers at home? Have them take that test at Hillsdale College. Find out what they think is in the Constitution. And over the, it's, it's a free course you can take at home online. Instead of them looking at YouTube videos, they can take this course, you know, work on it a little bit each night. And before you know it, it's over. It's, it's just a few weeks long. And they'll have a full reckoning of what the Constitution says. And you'll find that they say, oh, oh, I didn't know that. Or, oh, I didn't realize that. Now, if your kids are already in a school that teaches the Constitution, then there's, there's other classes that go beyond that on Hillsdale College's website. But it's and, and it's not so much about you having to take a class. Maybe you just get your pocket constitution out and read it. I mean, use whatever mechanism works for you. But we've got to make sure that when our kids leave the house, number one, that they have that they're biblically literate. They have a biblical worldview and that they know Jesus Christ is their savior. That's the first thing. Then once you got that, I mean, come on should have been working on making sure they know what's in the constitution as they're working their way through grade school and middle school and then into high school. But if you haven't, or if you're just becoming aware of that, the curriculum at their, at your kid's school is not up to snuff, it's your job as a parent to fill that gap. And we all do this. We all have come to a place where you, you, one of your kids is like, I'm struggling in this subject. And you realize that there's some gaps in the learning. And then you immediately move to rectify that. There should be no gaps in the biblical knowledge in the biblical worldview or in the knowledge of the constitution. And there are so many other things your kid is going to, you're going to want your kid to know. Um, One thing I recommend is for people to early on, unless your child is artistically or politically minded, you know, to engender in them a love of the science, technology, engineering, and math, engender a love of those subjects in your children, starting early on, introduce it. If, if they're in middle school, introduce it now You'd be amazed at how fascinated they can become with those disciplines. And those are the disciplines that have jobs that endure. They're professions, something that you, all, you will never, ever not have a place for engineers. I don't care how many robots we stand up and put in different roles. You're still going to need someone to engineer those puppies and the other portions of engineering because engineering has 16 disciplines. There's so much to it. Um, so now I want to turn to a little bit of culture. And I am just like, it is amazing to me that Twitter as a platform is still doing as well as it is. But here's a latest case of them pushing someone out. I'm not. I, so this woman, she's a feminist now. OK, so she, you know, she's hardly a right winger, but uh, OK. She has been kicked off of Twitter. Her name's Megan Murphy. Me, she's at Megan E. Murphy or she was on Twitter. She is on there tweeting from Australia about this transgendered man who has made it his life's work to shut down rape treatment centers for women. You heard that right. Rape treatment centers for women where, I mean, clearly the name describes what's going on. So here's a tweet she sent out. She says she got a message from Twitter saying that she'd violated their rules and the rules against promoting violence against threatening, harassing other people on the basis of race, ethnicity, national origin, sexual orientation, gender, gender identity, religious affiliation, age, disability, or serious disease. For the record, this dominatrix was also one of those behind the push to get BCFED to boycott and defund the Vancouver Rape Relief, Canada's longest standing rape crisis center. I'm sorry, I said Australia, Canada. No, those are no, not close to each other. He is actively working to take away women's services and harm the feminist movement. So she's calling this guy out, trying to bring attention to what he's doing because it's not helping women. She says, so at blog her pulled revenue from a feminist site because a white man who spends his energy promoting the sex trade as empowering for women and targeting and trying to silence and defund women's shelters, female activists and feminist media told them to. This is Lisa Crute at Lisping Lisa, the male BDSMer who was given a platform to promote prostitution at the Vancouver Women's March this year. So the Vancouver Women's March people gave this transgendered man a platform to speak to other women promoting prostitution, which we all know degrades women and is a form of slavery. 
So he then went on to lead efforts to defund Vancouver's rape relief and women's shelter. And she's calling him out. Well, then after she calls him out, they ban her. She says, there's the quote from her. What's insane to me, though, is that while Twitter knowingly permits graphic pornography and death threats on the platform, I've reported countless violence threats, the vast majority of which have gone unaddressed. They won't allow me to state very basic facts, such as one of the things she tweeted out, men aren't women. Now, this is the, the, the world that we're currently occupying because we have just abdicated our responsibility to elect and promote people who have a biblical worldview. They're too boring. They just don't, they're not, they're not cool. They're not the one we want. We want someone edgy. We want, no, we want someone who understands that a man is a man and a woman is a woman. That's something basic. That's something that if you talk to kids about it, like when you, if you ask a kid, like a five-year-old, if you said, hey, can a man be a woman? They'd laugh. Kids laugh at those kind of questions because they know that's just silliness. They'll say, no, that's not. No, you, no. Because they know that, you know, an apple is an apple. Can an apple be an orange? No. An apple is an apple and orange is an orange. They know that. Yet we go from there to where we are now, where if you say a woman can't be a man or men aren't women, you're banned. You got to get off Twitter. So here's the rest of her quote. She says, this is hardly an abhorrent thing to say, nor should it be considered hateful to ask questions about the notion that people can change sex or ask for explanations about transgender ideology. These are now, like it or not, public debates, debates that are impacting people's lives as legislation and policy are being imposed based on gender identity ideology. So on Twitter, she regularly engaged in these kinds of debates. She talked about sex, gender, women's studies. She holds a master's degree in the field of women's studies from Simon Fraser University. So she's not a stupid troll. She's an educated, opinionated woman seeking to use her Twitter platform to develop her understanding of the topics and engage others in the debate. She says back in August, she was locked out for the first time. She was told that she'd violated the Twitter rules against hateful conduct, and she had to delete four tweets in order to get reinstated. In this case, the tweets in question were about this transgendered male. Now, Twitter didn't care that she had a good reason to call him out. Twitter didn't care that she was trying to defend women who've been harmed, women who need help and assistance, who he, this, this transgendered man is trying to hurt them. Twitter didn't care about that. Now, there's something called, and li listener, I, I know, I know, but we have to know these things because we live in this world. There's something called dead naming. Dead naming is when you refer to a trans person by their legal name or their birth name. So apparently she dead named this guy and that was also a part of why she was banned. Here's this Karina Cohn saying that on its face, dead naming is merely mentioning the christened name of a person given by their parents if that person has subsequently changed their name. So Murphy went on to describe in her timeline of how she was eventually booted from Twitter that she deleted the tweets in question, then publicly complained on Twitter saying, hi, at Twitter, I'm a journalist. Am I no longer permitted to report facts on your platform? As soon as she tweeted that, she was locked out of her account again, told she had to delete that tweet, and she was suspended for 12 hours. She appealed the suspension as it seemed clear to her that the tweets weren't hateful, but simply stated the truth. Twitter did not respond. She says her account was locked again on November 15th. She had to delete tweets that read, women aren't men. How are trans women not men? What is the difference between a man and a trans woman? She deleted the tweets to regain access to her account, but she was ticked off by this time. And she tweeted, you know, some spicy rhetoric to at Twitter. I'm not allowed to say that men aren't women or ask questions about the notion of transgenderism at all anymore. That a multi-billion dollar company is censoring basic facts and silencing people who ask questions about this dogma is insane. The tweet went viral, garnering 20,000 likes, and they locked her out again. They demanded that she delete that viral tweet 
And then they banned her permanently. So when we talk about freedom of expression, neutral public platform, and all of this other stuff, Twitter is none of those things. And, you know, what's really insane about it is that if you have any kind of following on there at all, it means you spent hours and hours and hours of your personal time tweeting and building that following. And at any moment, they can take it away from you for simply tweeting out the truth. I I think what people should do is if you have a Twitter account, everyone should tweet identical to what she tweeted out. Let me let me tell you again what the one that really got them ticked off at her. Women aren't men. Millions of Americans should just tweet out. It's three words. Women aren't men. See what happens. Are they going to ban everybody? Who would be left? Just the liberals. Now, liberals do comprise the majority of the people who use Twitter. That's true. But they wouldn't have any fun just tweeting at themselves. The whole idea behind Twitter is that you're engaging in debates with people online and you're uncovering hard truths. That's not something you can do if you can't tweet out something that's simply true, which is that men aren't women. That's the point. Well, what would you do if you woke up and you're married to a man, you're a woman, you're married to a man, and you woke up and he was a woman? I mean, this has happened to people because people, they transgender themselves and they break up their marriages. But can you imagine if all over the country tomorrow, every woman who was married to a man woke up married to a woman and there were only women in the entire country? The children were men and or girls and boys, but all of the grown men were replaced with women. Can you imagine how enraged most of us would be? There is no way I would ever want to be married to a woman. Like, you guys know what I'm talking about. And I'm sure men feel the same way. They wouldn't want to be married to a man. So the idea that a woman can't be a man and a man can't be a woman is obviously something that still exists because fully half of the country that is married are married to people of the opposite sex. I mean, this stuff just doesn't get more true than that. So she was banned simply for repeating, repeatedly pointing out that men can't be transformed into women simply because they want to be called women. It's a fact at best, an opinion at worst, and the fact that she refused to bow down is the reason why they pushed her out. Now, we know Twitter's a private company and they can do whatever they want. But is this what we should be supporting? Is this what Americans should have as our sole option for viral, you know, communications online? We're so used to calling them tweets and and all that, but should there not be another platform? Should there not be another way to get a debate going to get into a discussion to maybe just push information out there for other people to consume and give feedback. There are other ways. And we're going to be exploring that more. All right. Monday, we had a little bit of rockiness in that first segment of the second hour, but God is good. We're still around and we'll be around for you tomorrow as well on Tuesday. So God bless. Good evening from the heartland. Talk to you tomorrow.